Hello there, my friends, and welcome back to my YouTube channel slash Messy Middle podcast. Now, if you've been following along on the YouTube specifically, you know that I'm currently in the process of training and getting ready to race a 50 miler at the end of this month. Now, I've got a lot of questions because of what I've been doing about my training and the process and everything involved with that. So I thought I'd to do a little podcast episode today talking about training, tapering, and then my pre-race thoughts followed by a specific Q&A by you guys answering the questions that you actually have. So if you're watching on YouTube, you can see I am showing that I have printed off questions that you guys left me either on Instagram or here on YouTube that you wanted me to cover in today's episode. So at the end, I'm going to do specific Q&A answering all of this. But to get started, I think that I would like to kind of go over my training for this race and how that's differed maybe from races I've done in the past. Um, and then how I'm approaching tapering, my thoughts on my taper, what I would adjust or redo, um, just to kind of get ahead of a lot of those questions that I know that a lot of people have been asking on my YouTube videos or kind of help give some background for the questions that I'm going to answer at the late, later on in this episode here today. So I am training for a 50 miler and this is my first ultra marathon since 2020. So I kind of had a rough few years of training between finishing my PhD, some internal health issues I was having and then getting injured. It just kind of really set my fitness, especially aerobic fitness back a lot. And now I have a podcast episode coming out before this. It's actually coming out the week I'm recording this that talks about my road to recovery. So if you're interested in recovery specific stuff, go back and listen to that video or podcast episode and learn more about how I've approached that. But Coming out of this, I knew one thing this year that stuck with me was that I would gain more fitness from doing eight, 12, three, six months, whatever it is, um, of 30 mile weeks than I would from just building up to 30 mile weeks and going past it. And I don't know where that thought came into my head. It was the end of last year. And I just remember really clinging to that, like getting my base back my base mileage back up and sustaining that for a long period of time now if you go back and listen to my injury recovery podcast you know that that like systematic tiered approach to building back my base mileage and maintaining it was a big way that I allowed my body to both recover and adapt to getting back ready for training but I knew that having the biggest area under the curve there's a science word for you all would be what would contribute the most to my fitness a lot of people I think when they're race training they think like if you just go in a linear line that's the fitness that you need to get to the training you just have to you know linearly increase until you get to whatever x number of miles a week or you know distance of a long run you need and then you're ready and that's not to say that approach can't work but there's magic in that time that you spend doing higher or moderate mileage week after week after week over time, building that area under the curve of training. Because a lot of people, I think, think that their race is dictated by just getting to a long run distance or a mileage per week. But it's all of the training you do accumulated over time. And by taking like these, you know, base building approaches that I build out in my programs or I took with my training here, it allows you to build a lot of fitness while maintaining like a level of mileage or training over a longer period of time. And so that is one of the biggest approaches I took this year that was a little bit different in the past. I feel like, you know, my first year of training for ultras, I was just trying to get to the mileage and I actually was just like so nervous that I wouldn't be able to finish the race or I wouldn't be fit enough, which I think a lot of you resonate with, that I was just like training a ton and doing as much as I can. And I actually... You know, trained really hard for my first 50k but I definitely took more of that linear like three four month approach building up to a race and then running it type thing and then I got a little bit more strategic in 2019 I did some really hard races I trained really hard for those but I always feel like I was just kind of a slightly lower 
volume, lower overall volume across the the year runner and then kind of peaked at the very end which is it's fine and it worked and I had some really incredible race performances and I focused more on time on feet and vert during those years so while my overall mileage might have been lower um it was also a lot more time to complete the runs that I was doing and it was also very demanding but I was also largely more inconsistent in early base building or between races or events I would fall off I would just kind of train just to race rather than enjoying training so to speak So it was really inconsistent. And if I, you know, I think back to 2019 and especially maybe even 2020, the year I trained for my 100K, you know, I was always trying to like do a Metcon or a cross training thing or like find a way to cheat just running. And I was finding other ways to do cardio that weren't running. And I think that's absolutely fine to do Metcons or aerobic capacity workouts or cross training type stuff early on in training when your mileage is still building, but you want to find other ways to get cardio in or you want to keep it interesting. I'm not just saying that's bad, but this year, one, I didn't do any Metcons or anything like that because I was coming back from an injury and I just wanted to control my controllables and I didn't want to have too much variation since I knew that something could throw that off for me. But for me, I was just dedicated to doing the mileage and doing the work that needed to get done. And that was my commitment from the beginning of this year. So I actually have had now the most consistent, steady and like greater area under the curve, like volume sustained mileage that I've probably ever had in when preparing for an ultra marathon. And it's funny because I keep feeling like I'm not as trained for this race as I was other ones. But when I look back at the way I was training, you know, in 2019 for, you know, Quest for the Crest, which is a really, really hard, like 35 mile mountain race in North Carolina and my first 50 miler. And then in 2020, when I did that really hard 37 miler, my 100K and Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim, my training volume is actually more consistent. And if not, potentially I've had some more bigger weeks during that time my running frequency is up I actually think I trained better and smarter this year than I've ever trained before and it's funny because I felt like I didn't do enough um but you know it's easy to feel that way when we're judging ourselves on our current fitness right like I'm not able to do as much vert because I'm not living in the North Georgia mountains anymore and I'm not as fast as I was maybe in those earlier years because of my injury not really allowing me to do anything too fast this whole year and making that decision to just do slow and a And that kind of worked out with training for a 50 miler. But I, you know, I, when I look at my Strava data and I'll throw some up here on YouTube for you guys and compare these years, I am far more steady and far more consistent than I've ever been in my running before. And I'm really starting to see it to pay off. So for the most of this year to kind of recap a little bit what I've talked about in that return to injury running podcast is I started this year at probably about 20 miles of running per week. I worked my way back up to like upper 20s, 30 um, training for a race last October, but that's the race that I fell in that ended up hurting my hip on the same side as my Achilles. And that has almost been more of an issue than my Achilles this past year. So, you know, I took a down month after that race. Life was really crazy and I ended up working a ton. So, you know, October was a down month and then November and December were just like survival mode for me. And I think I was running probably 15 to 20 miles a week and then maybe doing some cross training cardio, hitting the bike, things like that. But once I got to the new year, I was like, no, I'm really serious about this and we're going to build back up. So, I probably spent January and February working my way up through building a phase from like 20 up to like 30 miles a week. And then I want to say from like March through June, I was pretty consistently at like 30 miles a week. And then it was from June through now 
that I started to build up and titrate in that 30 to 40 miles a week range up to this 40 to 50 miles a week range. It might have been a little bit earlier. I, I want to say that I was probably running in the mid 30s or so um, in May. Uh, looking back, I'll have to look at the data specifically. But for me, I was also really focusing on time on feet. So when I was still out in Colorado, a lot of my mileage wasn't as high as like the time I was spending outside because I was maybe doing bigger days or more hiking or things at altitude or a lot more vert. So my mileage was maybe slightly decreased where I was still probably getting like six, seven, eight hours of cardio per week early on in that training phase and cycle, which is a big thing that I did this year. So I trained for miles and time kind of in my programs. And if you do the list method programs, especially when you think about like my marathon or my 50K or my 25 to 30K programs, we kind of give you like time ranges and cutoffs too, because I think that there's merit to both and they both can work to give you idea of like the total stress on your body, especially if you're like not the fastest runner or you're doing a lot of stuff where there's vert or trails, like there is going to be some trade-off of knowing that like, yeah, if you're running like, you know, a faster pace on completely flat road all of the time, you might run 5, 10, 15 whatever 20 more miles a week than if you were doing vertical training or a ton of stair stepping or incline hiking or variable train type training or running slower just because that's the pace and effort that you're going at right so you know, you have to keep in mind that there is a cumulative stress on your body. And so what I was really looking for this year was, you know, increasing that mileage because it does, I think, matter to some degree, but in making sure I was getting a lot of time on feet and practicing that as frequently as I could. And so that was the biggest approach I took. And then about nine weeks out from my race is when I decided to do it. Pretty much. I was toying with a few races that I was deciding between and it was late September, early October is when I knew I needed to do it based off some travel that I'm doing. And then my husband's hundred miler that he's doing in early November. And I was like, I have to do it. And I was worried that I wasn't quite ready, but I, I was, and I ended up having a great peaking cycle with this. So, um, from that time on, that was the week or two right before I left for my elopement in California. And me and my husband, during the week that we were there, you know, it, it was Sunday through Saturday, and I normally count my mileage like Monday through Sunday. But during that just week we were there, I ended up doing like 65 miles um, within that calendar week. And it was a ton of her and a ton of time on feet. And it was a good mix of like hiking and power hiking. And we were at altitude and then, you know, running as well. And I felt really good during all of that. And we did the Mount Whitney day, which was 22 miles. And it was like a 12 hour day. And I was like, hey, like, this is the best mimic of like a full day on feet that I'll have all year. And that's what a 50 miler is most likely going to be a full day on feet. And I, I felt good coming out of that and off that elopement. And I did another big week right after it. And then I deloaded and then I did three really big weeks in a row. So I probably had five really big weeks um, in this late peaking phase. And I had a little bit of a lull in June and early July when I moved, but I did have a probably almost slightly lower volume, but pretty good hard training phase in May leading up to the Boulder Skyline Traverse. So I felt like I had, you know, a lot of good training on my feet for the year. And one of the things that I did do differently this year as well is that I didn't do really long, long, long runs or high mileage long runs until the very end. And there's one of the questions that are going to come up here is this like three hour time cap type thing. And we can get into that a little bit later. But for me, I spent a lot of time this year doing long runs in that like 15 to 18 mile distance, like doing those 
consistent, keeping a steady base there, doing them repeatedly and not overexerting myself more than necessary all the time. That was one thing that I did do in the past with training for my other races, especially when we were in North Georgia. And I was kind of training with my husband and learning about ultra running and also kind of maybe overexerting myself out of fear of being undertrained is that I do feel like maybe some of the really big days we did that were six, eight hours long were necessary and appropriate when we were like in those final training peaking phases and we'll get more into that later but I think I did too much of it right but I do remember looking back at my 100k data and I did something similar that I did this year I did a lot more like 16 to 18 mile long runs I did not as quite as high volume but I had a lot more cross training and I think that that worked really well that route I was in really really good shape that year going into that 37 miler that I did on the Georgia Jewel right before my 100k and I think that I was in pretty good shape for my 100k but I think my taper kind of the wheels fell off and I'll expand more on that when I talk about taping here in a second but I, I really like that approach a lot better. I think it's a lot more sustainable and I actually think it's a smarter approach. Like these longer builder, <laughs> these longer, slower base building maintained phases for these big races allow you to accumulate and build a ton of fitness without overly taxing yourself, but then getting ready to prepare for those big peaking blocks where you are going to do these bigger, longer, harder efforts. So when you are training for an ultra marathon, you know, some of these quicker, faster 50Ks, you can probably get away with doing some of these shorter duration long runs, like moderate, normal duration long runs, like treating it like you're training for a marathon, so to speak. But when you're training for 50 milers, 100Ks, like probably 100 milers, I haven't done that yet, but it's very similar in nature. You know, as you get to that peaking phase, your long runs do get longer and they are going to be more stressful and straining. And that's just because you have to practice that being on your feet, how you eat, how you're going to respond, how your gears working, like mentally how you're working through it, developing all of the skills. And it's not that there's like some magic physiological adaptation to running for eight hours in the woods that you're not getting and running and like three, four, five hours or whatever it is. But a lot of that comes down to refining and, you know, working things out and skill practice. And also, you know, just getting used to what that might feel like. What So you kind of know when you get out there, right? Because if you know more things, or you can control more things going into your ultra marathon, that's less of a chance that the things that are going to go wrong are going to be as impactful on your day. And so I did a you know, obviously in our elopement week, the 22 mile day for Whitney was our biggest training uh, day that we did when we were out there. And then I did another 18 mile long run the weekend after that had a down week. And then I did a 21, the 30 mile day that I have the recent YouTube video on, and then a 23 mile day for my final three weeks. So I really didn't do like these bigger, longer things until that very late training peaking of Late phase peaking of training. And if it was up to me, I think it would have been slightly more ideal that my race was the second week of October. And that I had done those two weeks after the 30 mile week, I had deloaded because those two training weeks that were pretty hard. Um, because I was definitely feeling fatigue in my legs very slow. The heat and humidity was wrecking me. I think if I had a deload week there and then I did this my peak week with the the 23 mile run and like it was like 50 miles or whatever it was for that week. And then I had a second one of those weeks and then I went into my taper. I think that would have been just slightly more ideal. But I think for the timeline that I'm on, 
I, I only really ended up missing like one more week of training, but I do think I needed that deload after those two big weeks. I did kind of push it and I made that judgment call. But what I really did during those weeks, because I know I wanted to get the training volume in and get those practice long runs in those bigger efforts in is that I, you know, I trained really hard the first peak week. Then I recovered really hard that week after during the week. I ran my weekday runs really slow. I ate a ton of food. I was trying to minimize any additional fatigue. So letting myself recover while still training. And then I did my 30 mile day. And then I kind of took that same approach that next week. Like I kind of really pulled back the intensity. Like we're talking like running 130 beats per minute not caring about our pace, running very slow, like not trying to overexert anything beyond that, like not cheating ourselves on that, which gets you more time on feet and then recovering for that last weekend. And so I felt a lot, a lot of fatigue in my legs during those two first peak weeks. And I think that part of that issue was that my deload week that I took, I went home for the week and I slept really poorly. My eating was off. Like I felt like I was almost less recovered after that week at home than I did like even coming off those two hard weeks of training before it. And so I think that one of the things that I wish that I had done again was that deload week between. But I really think that that approach to that allowed me to like mitigate some of that really aggressive fatigue you get from lifting, but also that high volume running when you're at the peak of training and heat and humidity, it all compounds. But what was interesting to me is like, it was like funny because all of a sudden I did these three hard weeks in a row, but that peak week of training and then into this first week of taper, it was like my legs just clicked. It was like my mileage pace dropped. I was able to run faster. Everything started to feel easier. I felt my fitness shift into a gear that it hadn't felt like for the, you know, like the, maybe the four or six weeks before it. And that for my ego was really reassuring because it was like, oh, okay. Because we can so often feel, and I know you're listening to this. I know you do this. Like, oh my gosh, my fitness isn't working. I'm like, you, you think that fatigue and that slow, heavy leg stuff is just a sign that it's not working. You're actually slowing down. You're losing fitness. You're getting worse. And sometimes you just need to deload or take a recovery week, which I probably to some degree maybe needed. Um, But I was, you know, on my time crunch and I made executive decisions that I think were fine at the time. I was fueling and hydrating and managing intensity enough that I, I thought it was okay to do what I was doing. I felt good. I would have pivoted at any point. But we judge ourselves for these things. And it's so funny because I was doing it. I was doing it. I'm just like you. I was running these like 11 minute mile weekday runs feeling like I was being lit on fire and running in a sock and being like, holy crap, how am I going to finish this 50 miler in any reasonable amount of time? What the heck happened to me looking at data from two, three years ago, judging myself against it, feeling like all this shame when I did my 30 mile day because like I wasn't used to running on the rocks in the technical terrain and my feet weren't as fast. So I was slowing down on that and just unnecessarily being hard on myself when I'm like, let's say you just came back from a huge setback and you're crushing this. Right. But it, but I think that that we're human, right? That happens to all of us. And I had to like pep talk myself out of that and be proud of the work that I was doing. And I was stoked about it. I was, I think I can hold both of those truths together at the same time. But when it came to then, you know, thinking about leading into my taper, I was like, okay, like, we'll easy run this recovery will be great. I'll feel great by my race day. And then it was like, all of a sudden, my last peak run, and then all my runs this past week, and then my long run this week, it was like all my fitness just showed up. I was running like a minute to a minute and a half per mile faster. It was cooler outside. My legs felt like they had turnover again. It just was like, oh, 
there it is. And I think a lot of people don't keep going long enough sometimes to have that happen. But to have that happen after all that fatigue accumulated on my legs and I was just early into that taper felt really good for me to know that like potentially even more even if it's just that much fitness that I gained will show up on race day, I, I just felt like a little bit more confident going into that. And that is a testament, not to the hard three weeks I did in a row, but to the hard nine months I did prior and that were consistent leading into that. So I hit my peak week and I headed into my taper. So I'm finishing my first week of my taper right now and then I'm heading into my second week. And so I'm taking the systematic approach of a three-week taper. There's, you know, conversation between two week, three week, what's better when we're thinking about like marathon plus distances. A lot of the stuff on this is more so done on marathoners, but I like to take a three week approach, but my first week it's a decrease in volume, but it still feels like it's high enough that I'm still kind of training. So I took about a like a 35% decrease in training or something like that. So I went from like a 50 mile week to a 35 mile week last week. Um, or this past week with a 15 mile long run. So I still did like about three hour long run. I was still doing a pretty hard training session, but I, I kind of was still allowing myself to push that intensity a little bit more, keeping it at least a little bit higher, um, maybe than it had been during the weekdays to make sure that even though my volume's down, I'm still not just like giving everything up. You don't want to drop all of your intensity and your volume. You kind of want to keep intensely similar to what you were doing in your training and then just reduce the volume. So I still did my stair step day. I still did a little bit of threshold level effort on my one run because that's the extent of all the speed work I've done this year is like I just have run a like a small chunk a time at threshold and one of my midweek runs my longer one just to practice some leg turnover and I did a few little bit of striders but I really couldn't handle too much more with uh, my Achilles or hip and then I was peaking and so there was no reason for me to like add a sp speed block at the end it was more so just to get my legs used to um, the damage and fatigue of turning over so if I do that on race day and push harder it wouldn't be super novel and so I kept that up in my running and training this past week my 15 mile long run actually went great I ran like two minutes per mile faster than I ran my long run at the beginning of my peak block in a minute per mile faster than I ran my run the week before. So cool temps are magical. Fitness showing up is magical. It just felt really good. Went through the motions, felt super great. Um, and I still did a decent amount of vertical gain and loss repeats. And then the run, my trail is kind of flat, but there are a few hilly sections that I'll just kind of run to. And I made, I did about 10 intervals total between a few different of the hills, not as much for the running uphill, which it is helpful and important, but I want to expose myself to that downhill training as much as I can hand still in my taper because that repeated bad effect with exercise or running downhill that eccentric damage it's less when your body's used to it and I don't want that to be the thing that sets me back on race day because there's two really big climbs and then like a lot of like rolly climbs between um in my race so I wanted to make sure that I was getting some downhill practice because when you're doing treadmill incline walking or stair stepping you're not getting that so this next week going into my taper, I will then cut back my mileage even more. I'll run about 20 miles this week. I'll do one stair-stepping session still. Um, my kind of keeping my frequency the same. So I've been running five days a week this entire year for the most part. So I'm still going to keep my frequency at five days a week or maybe cut it back to four just because my mileage is lower. But keeping, you know, similar habits and patterns to what I did this entire time doing my long run on Saturday. And one thing that I like to do and where I will cut a run if I do is to cut it from Sunday because I like to take the approach of doing about a 90 minute long run as my last long run. I mean, you could do 10 miles, 12 miles, some people do more, but I like doing about an hour and a half to two hours of a long run. I kind of do it a little bit 
or I don't do it fasted, but I don't do it fed. I kind of like, quote unquote, deplete my glycogen stores, so to speak. And then I take the like more declined approach to training and increase carbs slowly across the week carb loading approach rather than keeping training intensity high and then dropping carbs and rapidly increasing them at the end I just find it easier to kind of decrease my training volume maintain a tiny bit of intensity but nothing crazy race week um, but then just kind of increase the overall percentage of the carbs that I'm eating across that week going into my race without changing too much about my diet that's the approach I've always taken and I think carb loading my serve an episode of its own but that's how I approach that taper um and why I kind of do that last long run on that last day and then I'll probably move some of those miles to my week this week doing 20 miles total doing that day taking Sunday as a rest day and then probably having two shorter runs that week of probably like two or three miles nothing really crazy maybe doing a few striders but we're training for a 50 mile or we're not doing like a marathon or a 10k so it's not like I'm I'm trying to be super, super fast. I'm just trying to be consistent and not blow up. And that is the biggest goal. And similar on that with carb loading, I don't really know how much carb loading helps for ultra marathons. If you're running for 12 hours, does that really matter? Your glycogen stores are going to get probably depleted regardless of what you're doing. But I just like to take the approach of just making sure that I'm eating adequate carbohydrates so I'm not going in depleted um, and being hydrated across the week. And so that's kind of the plan and approach I will take the rest of this year. So that's kind of how I'm approaching my taper. And that's how I approached my training this year. I'm actually really proud of all of this. And, you know, shameless plug, if you want to do this within yourself, too, and you want to train for an ultra or marathon or a 25k or any kind of race or distance, like these are a lot of the approaches and thoughts and science that we're applying to the list method training programs. I mean, honestly, the vert training day that I do midweek is very similar to what we do in the list method 50k program. And if you do the optional additional day and then just swap it for incline hiking or um, incline running and mixed with stair stepping. If you're training for a more vertical race and you live somewhere flat, I mean, that's almost identical to what I've done for this, this training year. Um, that's pretty similar. And we're working in the process now of making a 50 miler program. Cause I know a lot of you want that, which probably would work for hundred K too. I don't feel like I've trained that much differently this year for this race than I did my hundred K or those other races, other than I just don't have the vert and like the big mountain days that I kind of miss and I had in Georgia to train on. It's a terrain difference rather than a volume frequency or intensity difference. Um, but yeah, we, we do that exactly for you on a similar approach that we take and making sure that you're, you know, adjusting your intensity and managing your volume appropriately leading into your race. But keeping in mind, tapers might be shorter you know, if you're having a rush timeline to a race or you're running a, a shorter distance, like a half marathon or 10K or 5K, you might only taper for 5, 7, 10, 12 days. Um, when you're leading into that, you might not need to like taper for three full weeks for that. But for these bigger races, you're usually tapering 14 to 21 days, depending on that. And my personal approach is to maintain some intensity. But then, you know, taper off that volume the last two weeks. I will say historically in the past, my tapers have been horrific. I don't think I've had a good taper. Hope so fingers crossed this is a good taper. I feel like I end up losing fitness or blowing up or life explodes right when I lead into my taper. So Quest for the Crest, May of 2019, I was having a similar foot issue that I've been having this past year on the same foot. It's historical. I have plantar fascia, Achilles, calf things there. Um <coughs> 
I was cycling for my entire taper, so I didn't run, so I could lay off that foot, so it was good for the race. My 50-miler that fall, my first 50-miler, my grandmother got really sick, and then she passed away right before my race. So I had a rush to Scranton, rush back, rush to see her again. Yes, my family's from Scranton, like the office. And so I ended up, like, just doing one peak week, and, like, my taper, like, was during her funeral, and it was just a hot mess. And then my 100K... um, I did have that peak race about a month out and then my friend's mother passed away while I was out in Colorado when I was like in the beginning of my taper. So I ended up kind of losing the last week or so of my taper and it all kind of fell apart. So it's going to be very interesting for me to see what it's like to have a taper where I'm actually tapering and not just like clinging on to life, like with everything I have and hoping that the race goes well. But my 100K went well. My 50 miler went well. Cross for the crest could have gone better. Um, but hopefully that's a good omen for this year that like this will just be great um, leading into that. So pre-race thoughts. My next section before hype, hike, uh, jump, hiking and jumping into our Q&A section of this podcast is I don't know how I feel about this race. Um, when I think about my 50 miler that I ran in 2019, that was probably the best ultra or race that I've ever had. That was just a good day. I just really everything clicked. I paced well. I ate well. I ran pretty hard. I had a good for me what I thought finishing time I want sub 12 hours that was like my reach goal I was just so stoked the entire day it was magical it was like everything clicked in me uh and I don't want to compare this day to that but I've been using that day to pull inspiration from for a lot of this not from a comparison but just like a what's possible and what I've done before but for me my first 50 miler was just a huge self-doubt thing and I didn't think I could do it and finishing that race for me was just like the last 10 miles I feel like was so transformative. It's And unless you've done stuff like this, you might not understand that in the same way. But it was just the person that I was in those last 10 miles of the race was someone that I didn't I didn't believe that I was right. Like you, you think, OK, this is going to break me or I'm not going to do this or I am not capable or I'm going to use this to prove something to myself. But I just went out there and I like I just realized that I am somebody that I was so doubtful that I actually am. And I was so proud of myself and it was just, it was like an hour of outer body experience to see me push those last 10 miles and just self-belief and effort and just knowing like when you get to the end, your brain knows you're going to finish once you get to a certain point and you can just kind of like, you just kind of ran home, right? And so for me, that 50 miler was all about proving to myself who I actually was. And then my 100K, which was a way, a very, very hard race. That took us like 23 hours. That had a ton of rocks and river crossings. That was a much slower effort than maybe some of other races that I've done. It was a lot of, you know, shuffling, running and then shuffling and then hiking and then crossing a river and whatever. Um, but for that, I, I I went out there and I thought like, this is what's going to break me. Like my 50 mile didn't break me. Okay, that was my limit. Like this is going to be what breaks me. And then I just went out there and that last eight miles in the dark felt like it lasted forever. And it was just like, no, you are exactly who you say you are. And ever since I finished that 100K, I feel like the way I view myself and I talk to myself and I f- view these goals is a lot more holistic and a lot less anxious, which is why I think going into this race that I don't have like crazy expectations or crazy pressure or any, I don't even have like a song. Usually I have like a song dedicated to like my race and like what I listen to when I envision myself at like certain mile markers to like picture myself in that race. And for me this year, it's just been, I've been just enjoying leaning into training, enjoying the process. Like, be, like putting more value and weight and being a person who does 
the work that needs to be done and the person that I am is the person I am in the process, not the person I am at the result. It's kind of the approach that I've taken. And I worked on that a lot my 100K year because I was always training just to race because I just I love racing. I wanted to race. But that year, I wanted to learn to love running too. And I think that that helped. And then getting injured really helped me reframe my relationship with running. And I was like, oh my God, I want to get back to this so badly that I didn't care how fast I was or how slow I was or how great or gritty it looked. I just wanted to be there. And so this whole year for me, it was just like a whole lot of like, I'm just happy to be here. I'm happy to be doing the work. I am happy to be running. I'm just I, I I almost had to pause and make myself sign up for a race because I was just going to keep training and going and going. And then I was like, oh, wait, you need to do something with this. Right. And you don't have to. But for me, I knew that that was the end goal of what I had. And so this year, it's been a little bit more like I showing up to the race is the win for me right now. And I don't know if I'll have a really good race. And I, I could have a terrible day. I could DNF. I could you know, it could be quest for the crest round two and I vomit all over the course all day and I'm hypoglycemic and it's miserable. Or it could be like my 50 miler again round two where it's just, it's magical and all clicks and it can be anything in between. Every ultra marathon is it's like own, it's like you live a whole lifetime and in, in these longer ultras, like you go through so much, you, you learn so many things about yourself. But I think at this point, like I've done these things enough that I have a self-belief and self-confidence going into it to be sure of myself. And I know a lot of people listening to this podcast, you don't have that yet and you want to do these things. And the biggest thing I can say is just, you know, train hard enough that you can trust the training so you don't have to put so much pressure on yourself. But sometimes it's just you have to do it. You just have to do the thing and show up and show yourself that you can do it to believe that you can. And that's the only solution to your fear or your hesitancy or your doubt is to just prove yourself, you know, wrong or prove yourself right, whatever, you know, your internal narrative is needing in that moment. And that's what ultramarathoning did for me. It didn't prove me wrong. It proved me that I was exactly the person that I believed and thought I was, but I was too scared to admit to myself that I was but out there on the trails you know you you're so leaned into yourself and you have to believe in yourself so much in this training and you have to be the thing that keeps yourself moving forward that you know you have to know who you are if not you're going to figure it out out there so I'm going into this race just feeling very at peace at no matter what happens that day just being happy to be out there and excited for what the story that is going to come out of this adventure. So I wish I had something more to say, like, oh, I'm going to set a PR or I'm going to, you know, try to do this, this and this. I don't have a finish goal. I'd like to finish in less than 13, 14 hours. That's a little bit maybe on the long side. Hopefully it's not longer than that. But my running has been clicking recently and the the, ter the terrain is kind of two big climbs, a little one in the middle. And so I just don't know. I don't know the day that I'm going to have yet, but I'm open to whatever that day looks like for me. So, all right. The Messy Middle Podcast will be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Enough of me talking about myself. Let's talk about your questions here. And so, again, I printed these out. I should have just looked at my phone, but I feel like, you know... This is easier to read, right? So old school. So um, I'm going to just kind of go in order of everyone and what they asked. And hopefully it was either covered in the initial section or I will cover it here. So the first question is, 
What is your approach to breaking up the monotony of running the same trail or how do you piece together your runs? And so this is a client, Danny, and I I laughed because I comment back to her and I said, you're not going to like my answer because usually my answer is like, get over it, right? Like if you know me, you follow me on social media, whatever, you know that a lot of my time and I'm like, shut up, do the work. Like it just is what it is. If you want to do these things, they're hard goals. They're a lot of training. They're a lot of time. No one's making you do them. So my approach a lot of time is like, get over yourself. Like nobody's making you do this. You're choosing to do it. Like it's what needs done. But I understand routine and monotony can kind of not be enjoyable and you get bored and burn out with it as you usually go throughout training or you're doing it all the time. And so I used to feel like when I was training, I always needed like a new trail, a new adventure, a new excitement. And what I've found over time is that I actually really enjoy, I mean, don't get me wrong. I wish sometimes I had a little bit more variety in trail than like maybe what I do now, like versus when I was like in Colorado, that was nice. But even then I started, I would fall back on similar places that I would go. I would just rotate them. But I like running the same trail because, or even road loop sometimes, because it's a great way for you to just turn your brain off. Like it's familiar. You know what you're doing. It's just training. Like it doesn't need to be exciting. It's just work that needs done, right? And some days you're excited to do that work. And some days you're not so excited to do that work. But sometimes it's nice to like have something that's familiar because then you can turn your brain off and not even pay attention. It's not even not as exciting or exhilarating as a new trail or a new adventure or a new place, but you're, you're, it's familiar and your brain doesn't have to work as hard to focus on like where you're going, what you're doing. Do you need to turn this and that? You can just do the work. And that's kind of nice to have in your back pocket with training when the work just needs done. You know how far it is. You know where you can turn around. You know where the water spots are. You know like how much mileage this is. You know where you can get a good bit of vert, whatever that looks like to you. And it just becomes kind of ingrained with you. So it makes it easier to train. But the solution is also, you know, if you if you want variety, you know, maybe once a month or every few weeks, you go to a farther away trail or you drive somewhere to run or you find somewhere new or you rotate between a few different places. And that's always just the approach I take and piecing together my long run. I just I like will put on a podcast for the first hour to two hours and then I listen to music for the rest. Like I kind of put on a podcast. So it's like forcing me to slow down and pace myself and then I will just run for the rest honestly some of my runs this year I've been talking to my brother and my mom on the phone if I have signal because like I'm running slow enough that I can talk and that's how I've been approaching this so all right I'm familiar with the logistics of training for a 50 mile versus a 50k but does it feel different mentally for you any advice for the jump so Honestly, the difference between training from like a marathon to a 50K to 50 miler to bigger ultra marathons is really not that different. Like a lot of people think that training for ultra marathons is somehow this crazy extreme thing. You can just kind of think of it like training for a marathon, but then taking some slightly different trail approaches. The biggest difference, I think, for like when you think about the trail differences between a 50K to a 50 miler um, This is not meant to be judgmental to anyone here who's doing 50Ks. For me, a 50K is like, oh, I'm just a long run. That's just a long run. Like, I got into a bad habit when training for those bigger races for a few years there that, like, I didn't want to even sign up for 50K this year because I was like, why would I pay to run a 50K when I could just go run it? And there's nothing wrong with that. I've ran 50Ks, but it just started to become a distance that I was like, oh, I know I can do a 50 K in a day like I can I trust that I can do that um but the training for it feels like a lot when you think about it and the way I would coach someone on this is that you want more time 
training. So you want that like that peak phase or that build up phase. You just think of it being extended. You just want more weeks at the higher mileage or more weeks with those longer runs or like a longer training cycle to kind of build more fitness and be a little bit more prepared for that day. So you have a little bit more resilience going into that longer distance day because it has a lot of stress in your body. It's a lot of time on feet. And so I think that somebody could train for a 50k on a kind of suboptimal marathon training approach and be fine and finish it but when we're thinking about these bigger longer days like you want to have longer training cycles you want to have more weeks of those long runs you want to have more consistent training I think that for me is the biggest difference in jump for this where I probably could have ran like a 50k a couple months ago and been totally fine with this I think the the longer training cycle is what feels different about like the 50 miler or even like the 100k for me is just having that extended period of time at that higher mileage to build and accumulate fitness and just resilience there as well okay so since the general guidelines for running in a marathon training is not to go past three ish hours due to actually being more harmful and diminishing returns, what changes, if any, do you make in ultra running to be able to do three or more hour long runs that help more than hurt? And so I addressed this a little bit earlier when I was talking about my training and approach to this. So I've actually pulled back on doing some of these extreme long runs for extended periods of time across my training throughout the year and kind of reserving them more for that last eight to 12 weeks, I would say when I'm really peaking and prepping for those phases. And so if you guys are unfamiliar with it, there is this repeated regurgitated, nobody really knows where it came from. It's not from an actual scientific article. It's more like an expert opinion type thing that you shouldn't do more than three hours for a long run while training for a marathon. And there is some validity to this because what happens, you start to have more like breakdown in your muscles there might be more increased like bone turnover and things like that it might be more harmful than beneficial and some people especially if you're maybe a slower runner or you're not as is fit at these longer distances your form might start to get really sloppy after you've been out there for a while and so it might not just be as beneficial or you might not need more than that and when we're thinking about a marathon even if you're running a slower marathon and it's four and a half, five, six, six and a half hours, you're still a three hour long run is still 50% of that. And that's fine. Like when we're thinking about training for an ultra marathon, if you're training for 50% of the time on feet, like that's quite a bit of time, right? You're never training 100% of that time on feet. And so there's a few approaches with that with people. I think the biggest thing with that, though, is that when we're thinking about like that three hour cutoff or ultra training in general is like the huge like obvious thing that people maybe know if they are good at eating during running or or if they've been bad in the past is how much of a difference that recovery and stress and impact on your body feels to you or recoverability day to day or into that next week when you eat enough adequately and often that includes your hydration strategy electrolyte strategy carbohydrate strategy during your run so the biggest thing is you you have to be fed during that that is going to be the biggest thing that's going to lead to reduce stress and strain and muscle breakdown things like that the biggest thing too when we like the bone turnover argument I see a lot and I know some people are like I'll never run more than three hours because of this but like endurance training at no point in time is ever really bone promoting like that sounds bad but it really is it's it's negative like has negative impacts on potentially our bone protein or our bone turnover and you know creating new bone or recovering it or you know degradation of that so one being well fed is going to help but two if you're worried about your bone health supplement with things like calcium and vitamin d get blood work if you you're worried if that's not appropriate for you but like making sure that you're not in low energy availability and that you're supplementing where necessary or taking like adequate micronutrients like calcium and vitamin d things that are potentially beneficial in our diet to support that 
is going to be a way to, you know, aid in that, but also making sure you're doing your resistance training and your plyometrics as well. But I don't think that as ultra marathon runners, we need more than three hour runs across the entire year. And if you followed me on social media, you saw like a lot of my long runs in the beginning of this year, really most of them were only three hours long and they range from 12 to like 16 miles, depending on like the terrain and the vert that I was doing. But most of them were really only three hours long and maybe going to like erring on closer to four as I built my training across the year but I really stay within that three to four hour range now for most of my training it's during those high harder peaking weeks is when when you're training for an ultra you're gonna have to do these longer long runs and again to reiterate what I said earlier is like you are really focusing within this on uh you know practicing what you're doing your gear how are you eating how are you responding to things how are you mentally handling this what does it feel like to do this it's not just physiological your training adaptations the bulk of that comes from your volume across the week not just from your long run and not just from one day but when you think about this like you can increase it slowly over time in those last eight to 12 weeks of that you're not doing it every week you're doing these big longer harder efforts maybe one and then dropping back down a week or two weeks in a row and then dropping back down or building up and then dropping back down and covering it's not every single week or you're doing like these three to four hour long runs and then you're kind of slowly building that up and then you're doing one bigger day but then kind of going back down to a more reasonable amount of a long run distance in time I don't think that we need to be doing eight hour long runs every single week of training as we're peaking but there is a time and a place for those five six eight hour days or doing a longer race as part of your training cycle to practice what you're going to do in that race day so it's kind of like a, okay well why can ultra marathoners run the more than three hours if this and that blah 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 and I don't think the three hours thing needs to be religious but I don't think that we need to be doing you know a year's worth of eight hour long runs I think there's a lot to be said about keeping those long runs to the three to four hour distance but building up your mileage the rest of the week and increasing your fitness other places then only relying on the long run because that you know whether you're training for a marathon ultra or whatever race it is it's not the long run that's making you more fit it's all of your training altogether so all right next question how closely do you train to match elevation gain and loss in your training to your race and what's the general ratio of road or treadmill to trail miles so i historically like to do a lot of really high vert long runs but I haven't been able to do that since I've moved so if when I was living in Georgia or Colorado my long run runs always included a good bit of vert I really liked big steep climbs training the climbing training the downhill eccentric of coming down that you know mixing that in with variable terrain running I really love to have that in my training unfortunately since I've moved I don't have that and so this is similar to how I trained for quest in the quest for the crest back in 2019 when I did do my big long long hard runs on the weekends but that race had like 26,000 feet of gain and loss over 35 miles and so I was also doing a ton of vert training during the week so I was doing a lot of like long runs during the week that did as many hills or step repeats as possible to gain that or doing like a seven mile run and then finishing on the Stairmaster or doing just Stairmaster and incline walking workouts and I did a similar approach this year too as well so I tried to match my weekly vert to my 
race vert as close as I could as possible uh, during training. So for me, this training cycle, that looked like every weekday I had one day where I did probably like 50 to 60 minutes of stair stepping just to get, you get a little bit more vert in on the stair stepper than you do maybe like the incline on the treadmill. But then on Sundays during like my quote unquote back to back long run, I was pretty much just doing all vert training. So I was doing some running miles mixed in, but I was probably doing about an hour and a half of incline treadmill running power hiking and then just regular running to kind of get to that more running vert but gaining as much as I could and then on my long runs there are a few hills on the trail that I run but the rest of it's like pretty flat so they all jut off to the side and so I have been basically going out of my way on my runs to run up and down all of the hills that I do have you know every time I pass them but I've actually been doing it like multiple times so I've been able to try to mimic the feet per mile that I'm getting in my training as close as possible on my long runs. And that's a good rule of thumb is like trying to, in your training, getting in as many feet per mile as your race has might be beneficial. So I think my race is like 160 feet per mile. And I didn't hit that exactly, but I was trying to get at least over 100 feet per mile in most of my long runs and then just making up for the rest of it by doing specific stair stepping and incline hiking and running on Sundays. And since my race has two big specific climbs and the rest is running, I felt confident in that because I'm needing to train for those two big climbs and then the rest of it is like a lot of rolling so I one thing that I think was good this year that I did more than ever is I ran a lot more of my miles because I wasn't doing as much vert and I ran on road a lot more and so I think that I'm actually a better runner going into this race which I think might be beneficial to me where in the past I think I did too many high vert long runs and not enough running long runs where I like didn't have as much running fitness in these ultra distances I was just like really good at hiking in them and so when it comes to road to treadmill versus trail miles I only run a trail once a week I've only really ever ran a trail once a week I do not have the time um to, to go to trail during the week and I don't live close enough to one or I have it in the past so I pretty much run a trail once a week maybe twice if it's like local or convenient or I have in the past but for the most part I run on road the rest of the time the only exception this year is that I did do stair step on the one day during the week and then I was doing either a mix of road and treadmill or just treadmill miles on Sunday to kind of make up for that long run so I want to say it's I don't know the long runs on trail two to three of my weekday runs have always been on road and then the other one is always going to be it's been on a Stairmaster or an incline treadmill for most of this year so I don't think it it running is running cardio is cardio get it in how you can get it in um the only thing that is beneficial is getting on trail and practicing the specificity of running on rocks roots hills uphill downhill as much as you can if you're not used to or trained for that that will be beneficial for your race but i don't stress about the run the rest of it i run i just get in my miles i get the training in and i make sure that i'm exposing myself to as much similar stuff to the terrain that i'm training for as i can or do some specific workouts related to that but the reason i didn't sign up for a race that was really crazy vert or anything that i you know above and beyond what i could train for here is i just don't have that right now and i you know needed to make sure that i could do something realistic and not train for a huge vert race knowing that like i would have to drive further than I have the time for right now to get that kind of training in. So, okay. I would love to hear about how you pick your races as well as what trail challenges generally outside of racing that just excites you. And so if you guys go back through on my YouTube channel, I have a few other objective things I've done, like the Wonderland Trail. I don't have a video for it, but I did Grand Canyon Rim to Rim to Rim. I do have a podcast on that. Um, I 
feel like I really like objective stuff. I think it's a lot of fun. I think I'd like to get into more of that. I, I mean, I just, I like doing things. Like I like to go out and just, okay, there's a big mountain. Let's go up it. Or, Hey, that's a bucket list thing. Let's do it. Like the Boulder skyline traverse for me. So it just, anything that puts me out of my comfort zone. And I like some of that self-supported stuff now or groups or whatever supported stuff because it really forces you to rely on yourself and you get to go really beautiful places that races probably aren't going to be hosted and then when it comes to a race I generally pick something that lines up with my training timeline some of you guys rush your race timelines and you need to stop it I'm telling you a lot with love with love give yourself more time to train um that I have enough time to train I have some wiggle room built in for that for life because it's going to happen and then it excites me and it matches the goal that I have. So for this 50 miler, I had a really hard time picking a race because nothing really excited me. It wasn't really what I wanted to do. There was one out in Arizona. There's two in Arizona that I was like really wanted to do, but the logistics just didn't make sense for what I need to do. I wanted to stay East Coast. So I decided not to do them. And this kind of just fell into my lap. And if I didn't find one that like excited me, I would have just like gone and did something on my own um, instead of doing this race. Um and then within this, this person also asked, you mentioned it not being a bad idea to plan in a few extra weeks of training in case of injury, illness, life happens. So if everything goes well and there are no setbacks in training, which weeks do you choose to repeat to bring your training to your race date, middle weeks, in weeks, pre-taper weeks? I mean, it depends. If you have some extra time and you're early in training, just you know, keep kind of repeating the volume that you're at. But if you're in your peak weeks, I kind of described what I would have done in an ideal situation. If I had two more weeks of training, I would have deloaded once more and I would have peaked once more. And if you are a client in the list method app and you build in what we call bonus weeks, we will tell you what weeks specifically to repeat, depending on where you're at in the program and when you have extra time. But generally you just can have an, a little bit extended of a peaking phase. Well, worst case scenario, and there's nothing wrong with that as long as you're recovered appropriately for it. Um, with nutrition, did you just increase proportionately or did your macro percentages change quite a lot as you increased your calories to support your activity? So for my last month and a half of training, give or take this peak week, this really high, hard training week, I mean, my calorie increase kind of went slowly as we went, but I've been eating like nonstop. It felt like it's coming down a little bit. My hunger is like normal again and I'm in my taper. So I'm not like, oh my God, I'm ravenous. I'm going to eat everything alive. I think I've recovered past that now that I'm on week two of my taper. But I've been eating on average like 2,800 calories a day. And sometimes in my long run days, I was eating like 3,000, 3,200, 3,500 calories. And so I don't like eat a set calories across the week. I kind of fluctuate with my harder days, like my midweek longer days that are like nine miles long. I eat a little bit more on those days. And like, it's not like I'm eating less on the other days. But in general, um, when you're training for race, your protein's going to kind of stay consistent. It's just going to stay even the whole time or go up a little bit if you don't eat adequate or high protein. And then your increase of your calories is largely going to come from carbohydrates. You still want to make sure your fat is within that like 20 to 30 percent, but your increase in your calories is largely just going to come from carbohydrates. So your percent of carbohydrates is going to increase. So instead of it being like 50 percent, you might increase it to like 60 or 65 percent. Um, just depending on how many calories you have. I think I ended up inadvertently eating closer to that 30% of, of fat just because I joke fats find me and I tried my hardest to get the rest of that towards carbs and I really tried that but just the overall amount of my carbs increased as my training went and that's how it's generally going to look um, as you you work with that. Your calories go up and a lot of that just coming from an increased carb need and then the carbs that you're subsequently eating. Okay. Do you ever run twice a day to reach your mileage for your day or week? If so, is it all more beneficial than running in your miles at once? 
and then some nice stuff. You guys are leaving nice things that I'm not mentioning here, but they're very sweet and I'm reading them and I do appreciate them. So I almost never run twice a day. I usually just like to get my running done at once. Um, the only time I have done that, there's been like maybe a few times this year where I've split like a run in the morning and a stair step in the afternoon if I needed more miles or to get more in or had to cut something short because I had something that I needed to do that day. But for the most part, I always do my runs at once, mostly because like I just want to get it done or don't want to have to shower twice in the heat and humidity. <laughs> like if we're being honest, I really don't want to do that. I will lift and run separate on the same days. And I've showed that in some of my full week of training videos. And there is benefit to doing all your mileage at once. Like, I mean, you're, you're training yourself to sustain an output and an effort rather than breaking it up all the time. But if you need to break up a run here and there to get the mileage you're training in, more so what you know, I could see myself doing if I ever did more miles than I did or time than I did was just doing two runs in a day, um, like 1 a.m., 1 p.m. if I needed to get more miles in. And that's an approach people take. But for people, like especially clients, if they can't get their long run in and they're struggling, I will tell them to split it a.m. and p.m., like split it into two um, or whatever that looks like to you. But I do think that like we don't want to be doing that for all of our training all of the time. Midweek miles are probably more fine. Uh, but there is merit to running your runs consistently and practicing sustaining that output over time. So I wouldn't say do it for all of your runs all the time. But if it's once a week or once in a while, you're probably okay. Use of body work, hydration, IV therapy or other therapeutics when training for a race. I do nothing. I do physical therapy for my injuries and rehab. I do a metric crap ton of support work for the things that bother me, like my Achilles and my hip this year. I drink a lot of liquid IV, code Docless Fitness, um, and that's pretty much it. I don't do much of anything else. I might roll around in a foam roller every once in a while if it feels good, but for the most part, I just eat a lot of calories. That is my recovery hack in secret as I just eat a lot of calories and I'm really good at sleeping. I sleep a lot. I eat a lot. I manage my volume. I adapt to it over time. That's my recovery hacks. I know it's not, I know it's not the answer you guys want, but that's pretty much it. You don't need hydration IV therapy. If you, you, you guys don't need that, that just drink more water, take more salt in. If you're feeling dehydrated, those are things are just not necessary. If you want to get, you know, body work done and that feels good to you absolutely I will not deny a massage but I'm not doing it for recovery purposes I'm focusing on those things that I talked about before so um how do you choose and schedule rest days sprinkle in when needed or schedule so I take a rest day at least once a week sometimes when I mess up my training it might go longer but I take at least one in every seven like day calendar week so sometimes like I might take one on a Monday but then I want to move it to being later in the week so I might go like 10 days without taking a rest day so I'd say every seven to ten days I'm almost always taking a rest day the only time I go longer than a week without a full day off is if it's like okay I need to move my rest day until later in the week that week or I'm trying to realign my training schedule but for the most part I always am taking one at least once a week there might be a week here or there where I train seven days because of like the way my training got distributed. But if I'm ever doing that, I always like to make sure that like two of those days are like lower intensity. So that way I'm recovering in between. There's no like hard, fast rollness, but in general, I do take one full day off a week unless I've messed up my schedules terribly. Okay. I'm curious, any advice on how to just get over yourself and sign up for a big race? I've been running for years now and I feel like I can run ultra, but sometimes I feel like I just can't get myself to sign up. Kind of talked about my my mindset with this a lot in the past. Like you just have to do it. If you do it, 
and you sign up for these big things and they're scary and you have enough belief that, that in yourself that you can get the work done then that's all you need to do. And the nice thing about these goals that are more scary and they're bigger than you is that they're going to force you to show up and train. Now, some of you might not be wired that way and you might be like, I'm going to YOLO show up for this, but you're going to get your ass kicked, right? So I think that if you're nervous and even, you know, if you've been, this person said they've been running for four years, this is the biggest thing with ultras is like, you want to make sure you have an established base and history of running that you can kind of build from because building that higher mileage running or those long runs that are like, you know, every increment and long run from I feel like 12 to 14 to 16 to 18 to 20 miles a week like they just get subsequently harder so if you give yourself more time to repeatedly do these higher volume weeks or days you'll feel really good going into your race and really train and well adapted but you just if you've been running for years and you have a good baseline and history and you you can commit for however much time you need to coming from where you're at to these races there's no reason you can't do them if you if you want to do them right and I think I like these big races because you you have to show up and train for them or they will they will kick your ass so hard that it's almost like when you overstudy for a test to make sure that you're ready for it kind of thing so just do it that's like my advice like just do it I know it seems really simple and straightforward but you you don't have to feel the way you do about yourself when you finish that race before you finish that race like you just need to trust that you'll do the work to show up to that start line and give it your best right and we're all gonna die someday so does it really matter no like I always remind myself I'm like what's the worst case scenario well I'm probably not going to die from this so I might as well do it right so that's a little morbid but at the end of the day like these things are matter and they're important to us but it's a stupid stupid hobby so just go out there and do it and see what happens um but make sure you train appropriately over time okay do you recommend running poles at a certain distance or vertical gain um I think that when it comes to trekking poles Everyone wants some magic, straightforward solution of when to use them versus when not to use them and blah, 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 blah. Two pole, two, uh, four legs are better than two. That's why people use trekking poles. It allows you to alleviate some of that stress and strain on your lower back and your legs when you're running. If I'm training for a race that has like a lot of vertical gain and loss, I'm using trekking poles and I'm using it the entire time. If I'm training for something that's a little bit more runny and it's not as much like power hiking or sh- like wanting pole support, I will go between the two or I won't use my poles. I think that you know, as the distance gets longer, you will use poles more. And as the vertical gain gets higher, you will use poles more. But it's not like a, when you're at X distance and X vert, then you start to use poles. It's just kind of like, when do you need them, right? So I've used poles on 13-mile days, and I've not used poles on 20-mile days. It just kind of depends on exactly what you're doing. I will use them in this race probably, I would think, um, just as a way to kind of help me with the climbs. And sometimes I use them on downhills to kind of help with catching myself as I'm going down. But there isn't like a straightforward answer to this, and technical training will depend on that. You know, look at your race – taking consideration of the train you're training on does this make sense to use and then that's there's never like I mean you can use poles whenever you want there's not like a time where you're not allowed to use them so I know that doesn't answer that directly but it's kind of a it depends so to speak all right how do you know when you're ready to train for an ultra and do you recommend a marathon first you do not have to run a marathon first to run an ultra marathon you absolutely do not have to run a marathon first I never ran a marathon first my first marathon was done inside of my first 50k I hit the 26 mile mark and I was like go you um I think you know you're ready to train for an ultra when I I would say that you have at least a consistent 
like two to three years of running under your belt you can you have run or you can run at least like a half marathon distance if not at least an hour straight and then you're willing to give the time that is needed to adapt and train for that so I'm a lot more cautious on timelines like I I have a lot more of an approach to running and training of like honor the distance, do the work and give it the time that it deserves. And so I think that, you know, if you've been running for a few years, you can, you know, run at least like maybe 20 miles a week. You can run at least a 10, maybe mile long run. You can probably build up to doing an ultra marathon. You don't necessarily need to do a 20 mile run to do an ultra. I think doing at least a 15 or 16 mile run would be the minimum that I think you need. And probably at least a 30 mile week would be my minimums for that. Um, but the practice and learning and being out there longer stuff that comes with time but I think that you know if you've just been training consistently you have a decent amount of mileage and long run ability on your feet then you can go ahead and commit to that and I'm releasing this podcast in September and I think for a lot of you in that situation like you can run ultra marathons next April or May if you really wanted to like some late spring races and that would be a realistic timeline and for others of you it might be next fall and then for some of you it would be like the following spring so I think those would be three good milestone timelines to thinking about like decent running history can ready can train and sustain through the winter lower running history needs about a year to build up that volume and consistency and then like okay I'm beginner new to running I need to build up that confidence and base first and then I can have a year of training like that's how I would think of that if you're listening to this podcast you're inspired to this yourself um, a couple of questions from this person. What does your lifting look like during race weeks? Do you take extra days off from lifting or just reduce volume, intensity, and weight? So in the past, my tapers have exploded in my face, which means that my lifting fell apart because I didn't want to add back in lifting once it was missed for a week or so because I didn't want to add that stress or strain or exposure or risking of like muscle breakdown or soreness. So I just removed it. Um, for this taper, I kept it in and then I've been reducing. We went from three days to two in my like last big week. And through my taper right now is two lifts a week. Um, and we're reducing, first we reduced volume. Now we're reducing kind of weight and keeping intensity in little places. So like my squat weight is lower, but we're doing harder concentrics and still keeping a little bit of power there. I personally will say that I think that we over aggressively reduced my lifting for this taper. And I'm at the point now where I'm not going to increase it in the last two weeks because that doesn't make sense. I think I could have maintained a higher level. The issue was that I have a very high level of work demands right now. And I was having a hard time fitting it all in. So I kind of prematurely told my coach to cut things more than I think they needed to be cut. And I think we reduced a little more than necessary in what I would have liked to keep going through last week. But that's just a learn and live type situation. And sometimes that happens. But I'm still doing like a lot of core, loading my upper body pretty much the same. And then my lower body stuff is more so bringing back down that volume a lot more. And then slowly bringing down intensity going into like, and then, uh, you know, next, oh my God, next week is race week, guys. The last two weeks, the taper goes so fast. Then I just probably won't lift the, the, the week of my race. I'm going to be traveling. I'm just going to run. I usually don't lift the week of my race when I'm training for bigger races like this. You can. I mean, like if you're used to it and you can or you're trying to do something cool like a hybrid PR type thing. I mean, there's no rule that says you can't. Um, but for me, I probably won't lift next week. I usually don't on these bigger races or events, but I would keep lifting up until two weeks out. But if you're reducing the volume and you're keeping similar movement patterns, it's not going to be as much of an issue. And then kind of bringing back that intensity at the very end, just so you can recover, but you're still keeping some of that central nervous system exposure of doing the movement patterns is totally fine. Um, 
But yeah, that's the way I approach it. And if I'm training through a race, so the two races I raced last year, I lifted through them and after them. And I just like did a lower RPE the week of my race, just lower that intensity a little bit, which indirectly lowers your volume, ran my race, and then kind of eased back into training the next week. Another question on rest, do I recommend two full rest days or of complete rest or one full rest day? So with hybrid training, there's no right or wrong answer. If you're a beginner, you're going to need less overall volume. You won't be recovered, be able to recover from a lot. So you might need two or three rest days a week. If you can handle a lot of training volume and you're used to it and you can manage it across your week, you might only need two or one. And it, I usually, when I say rest days, I usually recommend full rest days. Like don't go and do any runs and call it a rest day. Just like rest. Um, you can walk absolutely like you don't need to not walk on your rest days I don't know where people get this idea like you can if you if you know I'm I'm training 10 11 12 hours a week like if I don't move all day and I get poor steps on one day like it's probably okay Um, but I don't think that we need to fool potato and there's advantages to walking for getting blood flow and circulating that and helping with recovery anyway so especially now in my taper I am trying to go for more walks since my running volume is lower which is hard because I get out of the habit of going for walks on race training because I'm not working out two hours a day so I do try to walk on rest days or during these tapers and recovery periods just to get blood flowing in my legs and get time on feet. And it's just good for you. So it's a good thing to do. What is a good beginner trail running plan by week? I already lift heavy-ish and I'm doing couch to 5K, live in the mountains. So I shamelessly will say that I think that our training plans are pretty stinking good. So if you are looking to get into trail running, you can apply any of our running plans to trail. You just need to run one or more of your days on trail. Totally fine to do. Um, and if you're doing like couch to 5k, we have a brand new beginner, beginner running program. That's for like absolute beginners. Then we redid our beginner 5k program. So like they line up. So if you need a longer time to ease into running, we have that. We have 10k half marathon programs as well. And then we have like trail specific, which more so just programs vertical training in for you for 25 to 30k and 50ks as well but all of our programs can be run on training and we have that and you compare that directly with our programs um in the app for lifting as well so perform would be a really great program to pair with that and then race when you're peaking for your race which is kind of adjusts that lifting for you so that's like you know following the lifting during race weeks thing War program race does that exactly for you like it tapers your lifting volume and intensity that matches your taper so you're recovering for your race and it lines up for that and then it reverse tapers you back out of that as you ease back in after your race okay Last one, another elevation one. How can you estimate if you are ready for a race elevation if you can't train on similar train? Kind of cover that already on how to do that, but I would say you can estimate you're ready for the race if you are kind of, I would, I think that the weekly total vert target being at least your race is vert is a probably a good target to have if you're doing that or at least a large percentage of that and you know being able to sustain the the magnitude of climbs or vertical train that you're doing and trying to mimic that as much as you can in training and being prepared for that you know doing things like the stairmaster incline treadmill lunges step ups you know rocking things like that can help kind of prepare you for those things as much as you can but i will say the best thing that you can do is if you are able to is to go train for one of those like longer effort runs during your peak weeks on semi-similar terrain to just practice that or maybe do a few of those runs across your training cycle just so you kind of know what it feels like to be out there and do those types of things if you can so 
And that is the end of my questions. Thank you all for submitting them either on Instagram or here on YouTube. I really wanted to cover all of your questions individually because I do appreciate you engaging with my content. And so hopefully you found this helpful when it comes to like thinking about my peaking and my training and how I approach that. And then just answering some of the curiosity that you guys have. If you have any other questions and you want to do some follow-up following my race, go ahead and leave questions below on YouTube or, um, you know, come on YouTube from the podcast and let me know if there's things specifically that you would like me to answer following my race about my race exactly. But if you haven't, you can go back and watch all of my videos from my race prep series across this year. I'm really excited to share my official race date with you. And I hope that you guys have learned something and at the least, and at the most have been inspired to get out there and do big things yourself. So thank you so much for tuning in for the podcast or watching this on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed it. I will catch you on the next one.